Have you ever thought, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. Maybe I'm not the right one for the job. God, there's so many people more talented than me, maybe more anointed than me, maybe more educated than me. I am not the one that needs to be speaking and moving in this moment. Well, let me just tell you something. That is a lie. That ain't the truth because there ain't no plan B. You're it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. No plan B. I'll be right back. Oh, yeah, let me tell you, there is no plan B, y'all. This is it. We are it. You know, it's called the local church. The local church was God's idea, man. It's, this was not man's idea. This was not religion's idea. I want to encourage you today that at the time of this recording, we're moving into the big show, baby. The reason we even have something called the church, the reason we have hope, the reason that we believe in what we believe, Easter weekend. Resurrection Sunday, excuse me for some of y'all judge me for saying the word Easter, but uh, Resurrection Sunday, we know why it's uh, why we celebrate this weekend, because he is not here, he is alive. Can I just tell you something? I love what the angel said when they came to the tomb. He said, why? Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen, just like he said. Oh, man. I got another podcast, I'm, another YouTube broadcast I'm going to do right after this one, right after. It's going to come out right after Resurrection Sunday, and it's going to be something along the line of now what? Uh, we've got the resurrection. He's alive. What happened after that? Some of the most powerful things and some things that people don't talk about that happened right after that was just incredible. Uh, but today I want to talk to you about the ultimate privilege that it is that God doesn't have a plan B. This is, this is it. You are it. And you are qualified. How do I know you're qualified? If you've asked the Lord to come into your heart, if you've confessed him as Lord and Savior, if you've decided to live your life for the Lord and you are a part of the church, the bride of Christ, you are it. There is no plan B. That's God's plan. Uh, remember what he said in Matthew chapter 16. I love this. Uh, verse 13, he says, when Jesus came to the, re the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do you say the son of man is? I love this. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? See, that's the big question. That's the big question. A lot of people trying to define who Jesus is. I mean, there's, there's thousands of books been written, YouTube channels everywhere, trying to deconstruct Jesus, deconstruct the Bible. All that kind of mess is what it is, really. It's just really, it's deconstructing people's walk with God, and most of them are walking away from God. Uh, but so I digress, but let me just say that Jesus asked them a very important question. If you're going to get this, if you're going to do everything that I have intended for you to do, I need to know what you think about this, this big question here. Here's the big question. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, you know, he's always going to speak up. Uh, Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered, listen, 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 y'all. Blessed are you, Jesus answered said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
Mm-mm-mm. And then here's the key. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Y'all, do you get what I'm saying? Do you understand that, uh, you know, he just flat out told him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. He said, you, you couldn't get this. You couldn't even understand what we're talking about unless this was revealed to you by your father. But the, what I love to love about it is he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, keys to the kingdom. He ain't giving his keys to anybody else. He didn't just give his keys to Peter, y'all. Come on now. Don't believe that. He didn't give his keys to Peter. Of course, he was thankful that Peter spoke up and said what he said. But he was saying, I'm going to give the keys to the kingdom to this bedrock confession. The words that came out of your mouth are so profound. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's what that's what you have to confess to become a Christian. Remember, you know, to be born again, you confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart that God has raised him, raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. Your names will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When you become born again, you become saved. You become a part of the body of Christ. You can't do that without confessing the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the Christos, Yeshua HaMashiach. Not that great with my Hebrew. But you're the Messiah the son of the living God. And I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. But y'all, we are, we are throwing the keys away. I mean, it blows my mind. The, the denominations, the doctrinal teachers, the people that are on this platform and other platforms all over the internet and in pulpits all over the world, preaching, spending so much precious time trying to speak those keys away. Those keys, listen, we have the key to, to deliverance. It's in his name. In Jesus' name, we cast out devils, Mark 16. Lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Come on, y'all. I ain't playing with this thing. There is no plan B. It's us. If not us, who? Who? You think the world's going to uh, come to the, to the salvation or come to the, to, the, to the rescue in this situation? It's us. And and. And we are buying into the lie of deconstructing the local church. Y'all, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand that without the local church, there is no other plan? That's called the bride of Christ. And when you start X, Xing out the, the, the gathering, Xing out the necessity to be together, to gather together, to worship, to be equipped by a pastor, by a ministry, by leaders, by mentors of, in the Lord, we are eliminating the only plan that he ever had. I've said it many times before, the greatest thing that Jesus ever did, <clears throat> without question, we all know what that is. <clears throat> it is that Jesus Christ came, lived a sinless life, walked among us, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, lived a sinless life, and laid down his life for us on the cross. And, you know, when he, he that knew no sin became sin so that we might be saved. And then, of course, he came down off that cross. They brought him down off that cross. They carried his lifeless body to a borrowed tomb. And on the third, they sealed it. And on the third day, the stone was rolled away. Glory to God. Resurrection Sunday. Jesus got up and walked out. And he showed himself by many infallible proofs by 40. I could go on and on. And I feel the preach coming on right now. 
But the truth is, that's the greatest thing he ever did. The greatest thing he ever did was make a way for us to be with him. Make a way for us to be restored from the fall of the garden. You know, to come back in relationship with God. I think most believers, most Christians would emphatically say that's the greatest thing he ever did. It was, that's greater than healing blind Barnabas. That's greater than, than calling Lazarus forth. All those great miracles that he did for individuals pales in comparison to the fact that he said it is finished on that cross and bowed his head and died. He paid the price. He began, he created a whole new covenant. Like his cousin John the Baptist said, he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Come on, y'all. We know what the greatest thing he ever did. But what was the second greatest thing he ever did? That's a big question, y'all. You need to know what the second greatest thing he ever did was. It wasn't, you know, as I said, calling Lazarus out of the tomb. That was awesome. It wasn't stooping down in the dirt and spitting in the mud and rubbing mud on a blind man's eyes and telling him to wash his eyes out and be healed. I mean, those miracles were amazing. But man, let me tell you something. The second greatest thing he ever did was empower the people that was in his inner circle, the 12, when he would spend time with them around the campfire and break down the kingdom, break down the will of God, break down how to carry this mission out. Remember that one time in scripture, he's, he's just doing miracles and man, the disciples are blown away. They're just like, my God, look at what he's doing. Nobody's ever done anything like this. Nobody's ever come in that kind of power. And then he said, Hey, let me tell you something. You need to get this. You see all these things that I'm doing. You're going to do these things also. And greater shall you do if I go to my father. See, you, how are you going to take that out of your doctrine? How are you going to take it out of your... You think that profound of a statement that has survived for 2,000 years plus in the recorded scripture, the word of God, you're going to think he's going to make something that profound and he's only going to be talking to 12 people and when they die off, that's going to die off with them? Do you understand how, can I just say, ridiculous that sounds? You think he's going to leave heaven the word of God, who is spirit, is going to become flesh, dwell among us, be born of a virgin, all the story that we know of Jesus, fulfilled with the, in, the, in, in the great resurrection. And you think he's just going to do all that so that 12 people can have the power to speak a word over somebody and then be healed, and then when they die off, that last person dies off, it's over? You realize how silly that is? Of course, they, most, most theologians believe that John was the last one to die. He's the only one that died of a natural death and was not martyred for his death. They tried to kill him, but they didn't. But he died of a martyr's death. And if he's the last one, y'all, do you understand the line that they all lined up ready to get healed by John? John's on his deathbed. He's dying of natural cause. That means an old man. His body's got feeble. His body's just shutting down. It's just natural things that happen to his body. And he's just like, you know, just touching people, just touching people, just touching people. How'd you like to be that guy, that lady that was in line, been standing in line for a miracle from the last person that's ever going to ever perform a miracle. And then you're next in line and John dies. You hear what I'm saying? John dies. I want to see if I can do this. That's the way she felt. That's the way he felt. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I've been standing in this line. I've been believing. I've been waiting. And I get all the way up to John, and he's gone. Now I ain't got no hope. Now I'm going to die. Now if I don't get another shot, now if I don't get another pill, 
it's over for me. That's essentially what you're saying when you take the power of God away from the church. And then you take go a step further. For centuries now, people have been trying to take the power of God out of the church. Now they're trying to take the church out. Like there's some other way that God planned this thing. Man, let me tell you something. You, you realize how he blesses you? He don't rain down money from heaven. He moves upon people to bless you. How do you get healed? He moves upon people to pray for you. The people don't heal you, but they pray for you. He lay hands, you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Y'all, we're it. There is no plan B. He has given us the keys to the kingdom that whatever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Y'all, there is no plan B. There is nothing after the church. In fact, when the church is, and you can believe whatever you want to believe as far as eschatology, end times prophecy, I tend to believe we're going out on the first load, rapture. I still believe in the rapture of the church. You don't have to believe that. I don't believe that's a salvation issue. But I can tell you this right now. You can stay here if you want to. They're going to need some good people. <laughs> I'm going out on the first load, y'all. That's what I'm believing. But the reality is this. Look what happens to the world. Look what happens to the world if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture and you believe that there's going to be seven years of tribulation and all this. And you're going to believe this thing called the, this man called the Antichrist is going to be re- revealed. Why ain't he being revealed now? It's because the church is here, y'all. The church has got the power to cast the, cast the stinking Antichrist, spirit out of the Antichrist, if he was to manifest. The devil's not as powerful as the body of Christ. Y'all hearing me? We are it. There is no plan B. I love the story in the Old Testament when Elijah the prophet, you know, most everybody has heard of Elijah the prophet. And God speaks to him and tells him, it's time for you it's time for you to come on up here and be with me. So he's getting ready to take him up in a whirlwind, a chariot of fire. And he says, but I, but I got to have a prophet. So I want you to go and I want you to anoint the hands. I mean, I want you to anoint the man that's been washing your hands, holding your coat, that's been serving you, Elisha. So the Bible says he goes and he finds Elisha. And Elisha, is high, he finds him tilling the ground. He's behind the, the, the yoke of oxen. He finds him in the field. He throws his mantle on him while he's uh, tilling the field behind the yoke of oxen. And the Bible says he immediately leaves the yoke of oxen and runs after the prophet to catch him. He asked the prophet, I know I'm supposed to follow you right now. I've been waiting on this day, but can I go kiss my, my parents? Can I go tell them goodbye, spend some time? And he goes, no, nah, don't worry about it. If you, you ain't ready to go, you ain't ready to go. Then God convicts him. He says, oh, okay, okay, we'll, we'll let you do that. We'll, we'll give you time. Sorry about that. We'll give you time to go say goodbye to your family. <clears throat> now watch this. Elisha does something incredible. He goes back to the oxen and to the plow. That's all he's ever known. It's his way of life. It's all he's ever known. It's his fallback. And he understands this is it. I'm it. The prophet has chosen me to succeed him. The prophet has chosen me to wear his mantle. He's threw his mantle on me. I have no other choice. I've been waiting for this moment. I've been prophesying this moment. Now my moment has arrived. So what does he do? The Bible says that he kills the oxen. That is his way of life. That all he's ever known. He boils their flesh, cooks them on a fire. 
Well, what did he use to make the fire? The Bible said he tore the the yoke, he tore the plow, I should say, to pieces and used the wood from the plow to make the fire to burn and to boil and to eat the oxen. Do you understand? He burned the plow. Some of you need to burn the plow because when you burn the plow, you're accepting there's no going back. He knew that if he didn't burn that plow, if he put the oxen in in the stable, if he just went ahead and stored the plow, there would come times in his walk of serving the man of God on his journey that it would become so difficult that in the back of his mind he would know, I can always go back to that plow. I can always go back to those oxen and just walk away. But when he burned the plow and killed the oxen, he did away with plan B. He understood, I'm it. He understood there ain't nothing worth going back to. Well, let me just tell you something right now, y'all. That's the body of Christ. That's where we're at. People are walking away from the body of Christ left and right. But there is a remnant. There is an Elisha generation that understands that the mantle has been thrown on us. We have been given the keys to the kingdom. You know, think about the Lord's Prayer that everybody knows. Our Father who art in heaven, the Lord's Prayer. One of the most powerful, profound parts of the Lord's Prayer is he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in other words, God says he wants us to pray that we will operate and walk in the principles, the blessings, the favor, and the anointing of what is waiting on us in heaven. Can I tell you, healing is in heaven, but I don't need to be healed in heaven. I need healing here on earth. Blessings and favor and prosperity is in heaven, but I need that here. I ain't going to need that up there. I'm not going to need to be prospered up there. There's nothing going to be needing for me to uh, be able to buy and sell up there. We are all glorified, and the Bible says we shall be like him. Okay, my goodness, some of us are struggling just to pay rent on something, uh, to have a place to live. Get up there, we're going to have a mansion. Bible says, Bible says <clears throat> King James Version, in my house are many mansions. Of course, we understand that word mansions means rooms. In my, in my father's house, there's so many rooms that's the size of mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare that place for you, that where I am, there you shall be also. My God, how powerful is that? But then he says, look, when you pray, pray after this manner. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. His plan A is the only plan. He didn't have a fallback plan. It was it. The plan started in the garden when he said, listen, there's a seed coming of the woman. You're going to strike like a snake. You're going to bruise his heel, inject your poison in him. You're going to think while he's hanging on that cross that you got him. But can I tell you something? You ain't got him. The very fact that you inject that poison into him on that cross, he didn't. the devil didn't understand what he was talking about, but that's what he meant. He didn't say the cross in, in the book of Genesis. But he said you, you, you will bruise his heel. In other words, you will strike at him, thinking that you have injected your poison, but he will crush your head. He will crush your head. Listen, when he said, it is finished, he crushed the head of the devil. He crushed everything that was stopping man from being restored in his relationship with God. 
And then think about it. It would it would have been incredible if that would have been it. If that alone would have been the the, the finished uh, plan that he came to give us salvation. He came to give us uh, the knowledge of knowing that we could be reconciled with God. I mean, that's awesome in itself. But remember, he wasn't finished. He walked around for 40 days after his resurrection, showing himself by many infallible proofs, saying, look at the scars in my hands. Look at the scars in my feet. Look at the, the, the scar in my side where he stuck the spear, proving that it was himself. Are y'all hearing me? And then after all that was done, after all that was done, he tells Peter, feed my sheep. He, he just speaks and teaches and, and impact, impacts and, and, and impacts lives and empowers. Then he's standing on top of that mountain, and all of a sudden the Bible said his, his feet lifted up off the earth, and he began to disappear into the clouds. Okay? We know that story. You remember the angel saying, Why stand you gazing? For in like manner as you've seen him go away, he shall come again. See, but right before that happened, right before he disappears. He says something profound in Acts chapter 1. He tells not just the disciples, but the entire crowd. Listen to me. Not just the disciples. The entire crowd that had been gathered there on the mountain to see him at the end of those 40 days. He said, here's what I need you to do. It's very important that you get this. Go into Jerusalem. There'll be an upper room. Go into that upper room like you've done before. Go up there and this time and pray. And do not leave that room until you shall receive the promise of the Father. And when that promise of the Father comes, you will be endued with power from on high. Oh, come on, somebody. Power. Your authority. Dunamis. That, that, actually, that word in Acts 1.8 is dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamo, dynamite. Dynamite. Thank you very much. But that's where we get our word dynamite. And dynamite is explosive power. It's the power. And the Bible says they got in one mind and one accord. And there's 120 of them up there. They got in one mind and one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared on them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it began to and it sat on each of them. Each of them, not just the 12, it sat on each of them. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. Can I tell you, it's so powerful when you begin to think that just a handful of them was even named in that room. Of course, one cool name that a lot of people don't realize is even Scripture, it even says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was one of the 120 in that upper room, seeking the power of God on her life, remembering the things that her son had said. These things shall you do, and greater shall you do if I go to my father. Remember, he says, the promise of the father. I'm going to my father. I'm going to sit down at the right hand of my father. And when I do, the blessing and the favor and the anointing is coming. It was all a part of the plan, y'all, and the church was igniting. The same man that just days before, just weeks before, I should say, had denied Jesus Christ three times, even cursed the last time when he denied it. I don't know that blanket and blanket in Jesus. <laughs> That's the calm version of it. It's, I mean, he, the Bible literally says he cursed the name of Jesus, that he didn't know him. And here he is, something mag, something supernatural happened 
in that upper room. Something got transferred on to the, into that room. Here is the, the coward, the liar, the denier stands up. These men are not drunk as you suppose, but this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. He even got so bold and just a couple of hours later. I mean, can you imagine just a few hours later after this had happened, they rejoiced in the spirit. They praised the Lord. But they said, we can't stay in here. We can't stay in here. We got stuff to do. We Don't y'all forget what he told us that we were supposed to do. What did they do? They went straight out of that room, straight into the temple and entered into the temple that Acts chapter 3, the gate caught beautiful and found a man sitting there shaking a cup, begging for money, trying to get another hit, trying to get another shot, trying to get another infusion, trying to get another doctor's appointment. He said, hey, hey. Peter said, he's shook it at Peter. Peter said, silver and gold, watch this, have I none, but such as I have, I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. The Bible said he reached down with his hand and pulled him up. And the man that had been lame from birth began to jump, leap, and dance into the temple. What happened? He was given the keys to the kingdom, y'all. The same anointing that was on Jesus came on Peter. But it wasn't just on Peter. It was on the 120. It didn't say there was a bigger fire that lit down on Peter. It said the fire appear cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them do you understand there were people in that room over a hundred people in that room that's not named we don't know who they are we don't know who they were heaven knows who they were we'll know one day but we don't know their names but they impacted the world to this day the church still exists because of the first church that was anointed in that room. Can I tell you those keys to the kingdom were not given to Peter. The keys to the kingdom was given to the church. We are the only plan that Jesus had. He came because he loved everyone. He died for everyone. But he anointed and impacted and equipped and called out and sent forth the church. There is no plan B. It is us. Burn the plow of religion. Burn the plow of man's tradition. But do not burn the plow of God's only plan. The church. That's you. If not you, who? If not now, when? The moment is now, y'all. No plan B. No plan B. Burn the plow. Say it. Openly with your mouth right now, say it. I'm going to burn the plow. Ain't got nothing to go back to. Let me just say one other quick thing before I go. Burn the plow of your past. Burn the plow that keeps trying to bring you back to the old man. Bury that old man. That old man's dead. Y'all, if you're still in the church in this day and age, if you still made it to the end of this podcast, if you're still involved in a local gathering, if you still got a pastor, if you're still praising God, if you're still actively involved in the things that's been going on for over 2,000 years called the local church, baby, let me give you some good news. In God's infinite wisdom, in all of his knowledge, He it didn't catch him by surprise this moment. He knew this moment was coming. And let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, he knew you would be a part of it. Not just a part of it, but he chose you and he gave you the keys. He gave you the keys, y'all. 
Quit playing with this thing. Quit playing with this thing. You don't have key. You don't carry keys around just to have keys. You might have did that when you was a baby. You just like playing with those plastic keys. But listen to me, brothers and sisters. If you got keys in your pocket, if you got keys in your purse, that keys to something. Some of y'all might be like my wife has got keys and she only remember where they all go because she got so many of them. The reality is this. You got certain keys that you use every day. Keys to your house, keys to your car, keys to your work, lawnmower keys, whatever. They're the keys that's been given to you. That gives you power, gives you access to the things that nobody else has. They ain't got those keys. The world ain't got the keys, y'all. We got the we got the keys. We need to stop trying to be so much like the world that the world can't tell no difference in us. Ladies and gentlemen, rise to the occasion. Stand up, remnant. Rise. You got the keys. Amen. Peace out.